The following is offered by Discerning Hearts, a 501 nonprofit Catholic apostolate dedicated to spiritual formation through the use of digital media. To download this selection, or to browse hundreds of other programs, or to contribute to our mission with a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, visit our website at discerninghearts.com. The Formed Book Club. Catholic book lovers unpacking good books chapter by chapter. Welcome to the Forum Book Club. We continue to discuss Father Arriaga Bach's The Drama of Atheist Humanism. Uh, we've covered now the first two chapters of the section on Dostoevsky as prophet. In the last session, we concluded the three different types of atheism which Dostoevsky uh, responded to, the personal Superman, the social uh, utopia, and then the philosophical rationalism. And now we move to chapter three, the experience of eternity. And there's some parts in this chapter which go way beyond me. But Joseph, you're in charge, so you can perhaps enlighten me and us. Well, if they go way beyond you, they probably go way beyond me as well, Father. I'm not promising to lighten anybody, but I, I have got some um, some highlighted passage on the first page here, page 347. Um, so about six or seven lines down. There are undeniably people who have no conscience, no inkling of that eternal element in man, uh, as Max Scheler would say, on which Dostoevsky builds. I'm not completely convinced I agree with that, but that's another matter. Of such earthly minds, Ivan's is the true type. This is Ivan uh, uh, Kavazimov. As a matter of fact, they are not always in, insensible to the beauty of faith in God. Ivan admits this to Alyosha. What is surprising, he says, is not that God should exist in reality, but th this idea of the necessity of God should have come into the mind of a savage and ill-conditioned animal like man. There's such a touching, holy wise idea and does man so much honor and end quote yes but it's nonetheless man he thinks who has invented god so i mean the first thing i would say there that for me the very fact that man could invent god is proof itself of god's existence um the fact that we if man is if, if god is necessary it suggests uh the necessity of god um but uh what i what i find odd here is he says further on you know that 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 ivan wants to be healed by Alyosha, mm -hmm. which I see is a contradiction. Uh, and, and he does he does put in parentheses, as Max Shader would say. So, you know, that, that, that there are some people have no conscience. I don't believe there's anybody that has no conscience. Even Gollum has a conscience, right? There, I don't think there's anybody that does not have some inkling in there, even it, albeit rarely, that there's an eternal element in man. So, uh, so first of all, I, I, I'm struggling with the very notion that this person exists in reality. Well, let me comment on that as a confessor. Uh, I've had this experience. It's one of them in particular when I was a young priest. Uh, it wasn't that this woman had no conscience, and she came to confession, so obviously she thought she should be going to confession. But almost... Uh, Incidentally, she mentioned a few things she had, was doing uh, for which she felt no compunction. She didn't feel there was any, anything wrong with it. She didn't, she didn't feel that there was a, I mean, she knew that the church was opposed to this 
and listed as one of the sins. But she said, I, I, I have no sense that that's the case. So uh, it shocked me, Joseph. Uh, and she was a good young woman from a good family. But uh, I think that just like some people have a, a stronger aesthetic sense than others, we all have to have a conscious, you're right, to be a human being. But I, I think it can be in some areas attenuated. And then, oh, of course, and then, of course, you can habitually, uh, you know, acquire habits of sin where you no longer feel uh, the, the bite, as it were, of remorse, things like that. But that's... No, I, I agree with you. I mean, we can't golemize ourselves. We can habituate ourselves to certain lifestyles to such a degree that they become the normal uh, and that the people that don't live this way are the weird ones. I, I, I don't know that because I've lived there. I've done it. But... Um, but 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 the point is that even then, I mean, even in Gollum, right, in the Lord of the Rings, there's this dialogue between Gollum and Smeagol, right? It's, it, 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 he's not completely and utterly lost, um, and and that's my only concern here. That it, I, I don't believe that there could be no conscience and no now. I think it'd be buried and smothered, but I think it's still there, so some sort of light. And De Lubach says that Dostoevsky agrees with you on this, Joseph. I mean. Uh, on 348 in the middle, Dostoevsky does not abandon the hope of opening such minds to an idea of this kind, meaning the mystery of the divine. Dostoevsky hasn't abandoned hope either, that uh, wherever we are at any one given moment in time, uh, in our awareness, uh, is not the whole story. And uh, so... Um, it is a mystery, though. Why Why are some souls, why does the light go on for that person over there and not this person over here? I mean, this is this is a mystery that we can't plumb the depths yeah, of. I, I, right. I don't want to go off on a tangent here because it would be a tangent, but I think a, a lot of the time it's brutalization, that people are abused, um, and therefore they don't know what the good is. They never experienced the good or the true or the beautiful. They've only experienced the, the, the absence of those things. And it's very difficult, of course, you've never experienced those things to actually um, uh, come to an understanding of them. It's still in there. I mean, I, I'm, I'm standing by what I'm saying, but I think a lot of people that, that really, really in a bad way, it's because they've been treated very badly. I'm not saying everybody. I'm not going to go that far. But And um, then there's the great mystery. Remember those convert stories from philosophers? And there was that one woman who'd been yeah. abused, even from infancy, as it's unthinkable. And there she never, ever lost some sense of the reality of God, some sense of the reality. How, how this was even possible, given what she had suffered, was just amazing to me. And so um, there aren't, you know, there isn't like a one-size-fits-all formula. Everyone is going to have his own journey and experience of God. And uh, so the fact that Dostoevsky can fit this whole, you know, pantheon of character types into his novels and show even an Ivan with his cold, hardened heart, turning to Do turning to Ali Alyosha and at the end of this section on 348, my wishing to be healed by you. Here's a man who's hardened his heart and his mind against God. And at the end of this discourse with his brother, I want to be healed by you. Okay. The fact that Dostoevsky can keep all of these apparently contradictory things in a man together on the same page huh. and but have they, this, 
have this the hope book. of their ultimate redemption. Absolutely. Is beautiful and the, very fact that, the very fact that Ivan can say, my wishing to be healed by you disproves the idea that there can be a person with no conscience, no inkling. He knows that where he is is not a good place. You know, and the other thing, by the way, I want, I want to, apart from that, I wanted to question whether the, the possibility of you of the existence of the Euclidean man. So page 347 here, uh, back to 347 again, the end of that paragraph, opening paragraph. Why try to puzzle out anything that is not of this world? I advise you not to rack your brains on that <laughs> score, my dear Adiosha. Dear God, does God exist or not? Questions of that kind are beyond the reach of a mind that can only conceive three dimensions. All right? No mind can only conceive three dimensions. <laughs> you know, there's nothing about suffering in Euclid. In other words, it's a lie. You're lying to yourself if you believe that you can exist on a level of three dimensions. It's impossible. And the very fact that what you just quoted there, Vivian, my wish to be healed by you is Adiosha, sorry, is Ivan actually confessing that. Yes, it's true that if the human mind were limited to three dimensions, we wouldn't get beyond uh, trigonometry. But uh, the fact is, is that our minds are can go beyond those dimensions. In fact, I think someone said Einstein could think in five dimensions at once or something like this, you know, puzzled me that. So, you know, the, the, it, it's Ivan boxing his own mind in and now limiting what his experience could possibly be. And yet this other reality keeps pushing through like jonkles in the springtime. You know, <laughs> they They just keep pushing through this rocky surface of his and that's 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 the kernel of hope that Dostoevsky sees in all of these characters he creates. Yeah, I think that you know, I would agree with both of you that to be human is to be have some kind of orientation of what that which is beyond the mere sensible, mere empirical, the three dimensions, so to speak. At the same time, different people seem to have different sensitivity for that or height. I mean. I think about that that wonderful biography we published years ago, A Memory for Wonders, yeah. where this little girl was brought up explicitly without God being mentioned in, in, in a socialist environment. But she goes by a church, and she, just, what's, and she goes in, and she's fascinated by this lamp that's there, you know. And I know another woman, Dagny Kiergaard is her name, she's Danish, who was the secretary of a college Schoenborn. Same thing. She was a little girl, and... She saw this church and said, I want to go in there. She went in and and that was that was where she got her faith. So, but most people, that won't happen to them, you know. They'll walk by and they won't even know it's there. Or if they go inside, they won't be moved by it at all. So there is, I don't know, there, there's a mystery. At least, at least in that moment of time, they're not moved by it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that the capacity to be, be moved by it is completely absent. And and yeah. so this, you know, this does bring up, you know, uh, de Lubach's point about Dostoevsky um, realizing that not everyone has had these experiences that opens them to this, that he himself was really blessed, if you will, by the near death experience, near near execution experience, the imprisonment, the, the epilepsy that that um, that that these very things that many people would consider bad fortune, to say the least, were the very things that broke Dostoevsky open to, to, to 
God. And so we don't know when those things are going to take place in another man's life that will break him open to God, but we can trust that God cares enough for that man that they will. Amen. I mean, we have to believe um, that we all have different aptitudes, but God doesn't abandon any of us. Um, uh, you know, we can we can choose to abandon him. I mean, I'm thinking about, obviously, we have a son who has Down syndrome and autism. He's never going to walk into a church and see a tabernacle light and be moved by it. You know, obviously, there's something that that's not his fault, and God's going to heal that when he gets to heaven. In fact, he's more likely to get there than me. But in other words, there are different aptitudes, right? And, and so, but, but God's going to do his best <laughs> to get past our own pig-headedness. And, and if we don't have, a, we don't have a, an aesthetic sensibility, so we're not going to be moved by the tabernacle light or the beauty of the Gothic, or, you know, we might be moved by, by suffering, either in ourselves or others. Or, you know, there, there, there are different ways by which, if you like, that God can penetrate the armor that we, we accrete ourselves with. You know, uh, this is a digression, uh, Joseph, but your mention of your son reminds me of that beautiful story of Charles de Gaulle, whose daughter had Down syndrome. I didn't and, know that. And after uh, she was buried, he and his wife, as they left the cemetery, de Gaulle turned to his wife and said, now she's like the others. And, um, you know, the completion in heaven that we all long for, none of us have that now. None of us do. And and we're given whatever fragments of it, you know, we're, 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 we're given as gifts, total gifts. We don't earn it. We can't make these things happen, you know, and we just have to trust that God is a generous giver who gives his gifts to all uh, in whatever. I, 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 don't, I don't want to carry on on this tangent because this is, is off topic. But, but for me, Leo has a childlike ability to love that I don't have. Right, he doesn't have he doesn't he doesn't have a perception. He he, he can't. There's no it's not the ratio that I have, which is not necessarily a good thing <laughs> for me at least. Often, right? But he has a great ability to love and a childlike sense. I mean, he's closer to heaven. There's no doubt about it at all. He's teaching us all the most valuable le lessons. He's the teacher in our family. Yes, right. He's the greatest gift we have. Yes, that's right. But anyway, back to Dostoevsky. <laughs> all right, and then on this page three forty eight, the new paragraph there in the middle. Because this kind of explains what this chapter title is all about, the experience of eternity. Uh, Dostoevsky does not abandon the hope, you mentioned this already, of opening such minds to the, of this kind. To those who, only, who see only words in the profession of faith, that is, doesn't move them at all, he proposes to speak in the name of experience. To earthly experience, he will oppose the experience of eternity. And that, this is a key point in this whole chapter because he, yeah. he's talking about Raskolnikov and Alyosha as the two kind of main figures in which he is going to do this. And it's related to his epilepsy, too, or to this experience of this uh, ecstasy which epilepsy leads to. Uh, all right, Joseph, you're in charge. Well, I actually have nothing now for several pages, so I suspect one of you are going to jump in, but I have one on the 356 next. We'll return to the Forum Book Club with Father Joseph Fessio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce in just a moment.
Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to the Formed Book Club with Father Joseph Fezio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce. Vivian? I'm totally with you going there. Um, and I also. Go ahead, Joseph. Go ahead. Okay, well, here's where I, I actually have question marks in the margin, so I'm going to be grappling with things here. Okay. Um, so the middle of the page, 356, um, Prince Mishkin says Mr. Sergi Pesky, for example, quote, symbolizes Christian wisdom unconstrained in its pure essence, end quote. This exegesis forms the base of Andre Gide's study, which cites both the passage from the idiot and those from the possessed, quoted above. Kunta Gide Dostoevsky, quote, suggests that love's real antithesis is not so much hate as cerebral cogitation, so reason or thinking. The understanding is, in his view, the thing that individualizes itself and sets itself up against the kingdom of God, against eternal life and against the state of beatitude outside time, which can be attained only by sinking one's individuality in a sense of indiscriminate fellowship. Now, I put question marks here, of course, because, you know, I'm arguing with Gide not with either Dostoevsky or the Lubach. Um, and that's very important for us to, dis to make that distinction. But nonetheless, I think that, you know, we need to, and of course, the Lubach does address this. Um, but the, the things about Guy's position here that I find interesting, first of all, that love somehow is at war with reason. 
um, is, is the first problem, right? The, that, that somehow cerebral cogitation, so that the whole idea of thinking and rationalizing things is, a, is the antithesis of love. That's obviously a problem. Um, but also that the only way we can find a state of a beatitude in outside time, for, and I don't even know if Gide understands what eternity is, but certainly outside, something timeless, which can be attained only by sinking one's individuality in a sense of indiscriminate fellowship. We have to lose ourselves, not in a good Christian sense, but subject ourselves to some whole. And this reminds me very much of Comte, right? Whereas basically, you know, we, we really only experience that which is, which is part of the great being, humanity, by losing ourselves in the group. Um, and, and, and obviously that's not what Christ says, it's not what Dostoevsky says, it's not what Delubak says, but that's my reading of that passage. I don't know whether... Well, yes, but on page 357, after quoting Gide again and so on, uh, that second paragraph there, this interpretation is decidedly too much of Gide himself in it. So he, he's criticizing both this interpretation and Gide, yes. uh, with which is, it seems to be in harmony. Yes. Yeah, I agree. It's a distinct, it's a very, very important distinction that this is not the position of either Dostoevsky or Delubak, but I do think I want to comment about the fact that Gide's wrong himself, objectively, but he's also wrong, of course, in his understanding of Dostoevsky. Um, so I've got something else on 357. Uh, uh, um, so St. Augustine here. Um, the unlearned arise and take heaven by storm. And I'll put there, um, uh, beside, by the way, beside the bit you've just quoted about about Gide being wrong, uh, too much of Gide himself. I put exclamation marks there as opposed to question marks for Gide. But he'll put but in the margin. The unlearned arise and take heaven by storm. And you know, there's a difference between the unlearned and the irrational. In other words, some, some, someone can just be, not be educated, but can have all the right uh, uh, approach to it, can be humble. Right, some are going to have true humility without being educated, and can be closer to heaven, can be childlike. So I think it's very important to distinguish between the unlearned uh, and the irrational. And um, I know that Augustine would not make that would, would not make that mistake, but I think we need to keep that clear because a large part of this chapter is 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 is, is an engagement with with what is rational, what is irrational, and its relationship to the eternal. But being unlearned is not necessarily being irrational. Right. Well, I think what uh, Delubach is doing here in uh, uh, correcting Gide and, and other literary critics is that one of their arguments that Dostoevsky, that Dostoevsky's faith in simple terms is not as important as Delubach thinks it is, is because the mouthpieces in his stories for the wisdom of the faith are often the unlearned, as you just distinguished, not not irrational people, but unlearned people, peasants, women, uh, uh, the sick, the poor, the infirm, uh, even prostitutes, Sonia <laughs> and crime and punishment. Um, so there's some of these critics will say, oh, if he had wanted, that is Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky wanted to give this a better platform, you know, for us of serious minds to take seriously, he would have had to put them spokesmen that he would have had to make different spokesmen. Uh, 
And there's another place too, I can't remember where in this section, where critics will say, because Dostoevsky's characters in the grip of evil are more exciting, you know, they're sexier than the good people. That also shows some kind of prejudice on Dostoevsky's part for evil as opposed to simple goodness, you know? And de Lubach just demolishes these arguments, right? Yeah, By we, saying, yeah, I mean, yeah. you don't get, yeah. first of all, these critics don't get Christianity themselves, but secondarily, they don't understand what Dostoevsky is doing literarily in putting in the simple and the small, the, the, the words of Christ. Uh, that is our faith. Uh, and, and, and so anyway, I agree with you, Joseph, that Jede here is not to be our guide. Uh, uh, that's an irony, right? Isn't that what his name means? Um, it's, a good, it's a good pun. Yes, yeah, it's a pun. That's what I mean. You know, so so I think you're, you're absolutely right, Joseph, by distinguishing between what some of these critics have to say, even though Dost, uh, Duluba quotes from them, he's not always agreeing with them, and he goes on to explain where he doesn't agree. He's so good at well, he's so good in the in a, in a such a nuanced and subtle sense that it, it you have to follow it because he gives voice to all sorts of people with whom he disagrees. So, so the the, the obvious thing I want to do is heckle, <laughs> you know, and that's nonsense. That's nonsense. That's nonsense, right? But he's he's given them their voice, and then with much more gentleness than I would manage. He corrects them. Um, so that, that, that again, that's that's the subtlety of this book that we have to be yes. aware of at all times. You know. Yes, um, and he's been doing it all along in quoting Nietzsche, in quoting Kierkegaard, in quoting you know, De Lubach is so phenomenal in giving the person he's listening to his due, and and with all respect, listening to what this person has to say, and then with you say, like you said, Joseph, with subtlety with gentleness, just kind of showing how that person is in error. Uh, it's genius. And on that topic, uh, first of all, his training is philosophy and theology, you know, as a, as a Jesuit, not literature. Uh, and he not only is able to give these beautiful, deep interpretations of authors like Nietzsche and Cohen and Dostoevsky, but his knowledge of the secondary literature is phenomenal. I mean, he's he's quoting all sorts of commentators on these things and, you know, either agreeing or disagreeing. But as you say, Vivian, doing it in a, in a gentle way. You know, I might have told this before, but I'll, I'll say it again. I remember, uh, you know, when I was in Lyon and I would spend time with him in his room and uh, this book had come out. He just published a book on something or other. And I, I, he was showing it to me. And he, and the book, it was about, I don't know what topic it was, but it was some theological topic, the church or whatever. And he says, oh, you see this paragraph here? Uh, I, I'm criticizing Father so-and-so here. You see this paragraph there? That's against someone else. I mean, he doesn't mention my name, nothing negative at all. He, 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 does, he says the positive thing, which is the response to somebody who disagrees. It, it's so such courtesy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Caritas, which all of us could do with more. Um, I, I have, I have, I'm on three fifty eight next, which is only just next page. So I suppose I'm hogging things here, but um, are you going to indulge me? Yep. <laughs> Once again, you're in charge. Well, the thing is, I haven't read the idiot. Uh, I wish I had, and I obviously I will. I've only read uh, uh, three 
Dostoevsky novels, if I'm to be honest. Um, but this this character, Prince Mishkin, I find fascinating because I've read about him and I've read what Dostoevsky said about him. He's a sort of a, a Don Quixote type character, so mm-hmm. sort of holy fool. Now, and the holy fool in himself, you know, I, I know a few holy fools from Shakespeare. I know them better, right? Um, and, and they're an enigma, and they they often they often they often are the voice of wisdom. But here, I, I'm, I'm getting deep into Michigan secondhand without reading the novel, which makes me un, 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 uneasy. But middle of page 358, um, after the assets, the, the, the liabilities are to be reviewed. He's looking at Michigan now. Michigan the saint does not know how to act. He only knows how to live. If he tries to act, he makes mistakes. Besides never managing to help anyone, he upsets things when they're going uns- going satisfactorily. By the end of the book, the progress of this absolutely good man, and in, quote, in quotes, has left in its wake a murder and three or four family crises. <laughs> As for the, quote, absolutely good man himself, he has gone mad. He did not know how to adapt himself to human conditions. He did not know how to become a man. He's called a pitiable shadow, a chill and mournful ghost. Um, so I, again, I haven't read the book, so I, I, I plead ignorance here. But this is this is just is very intriguing as a uh, as a character portrait of Michigan. I don't know if, if either of you have read the novel and want to comment about that because I mean the thing about Don Quixote, the thing that redeems Don Quixote is his confession at the end, right? He he you know he he says that I was foolish. He might be foolish for the right reasons. He might be lovable. <laughs> But he was wrong, <laughs> you know. And then, and then, and then, at the end of the novel, he confesses his sins and, and returns to the Holy Mother Church and dies and presumably goes to heaven. Mm-hmm. Not as the Don Quixote, the foolish note that foolish knight that was that was um, you, you know um, tilting at windmills, but as the, as the repentant sinner who returns to Holy Mother Church. So you know, uh, Prince Michigan here, as I haven't read the novel, is is an absolutely more of an enigma, having read this quote than he was before. And I'm wondering if either of you want to enlighten me uh well i never finished the idiot i think i got about halfway through and to tell you the truth the reason why i stopped reading it was because i got so frustrated with this character (laughs) in the same way you sort of get frustrated with don quixote uh uh so your i think your uh comparison joseph is very apt between Don- well, it's, it's actually it's also objectively valid because uh, Dostoevsky says that it was Don Quixote that inspired the character of Prince Mishkin. So there's actually some very interesting stuff going on here, which I don't have a handle on because I haven't read The Idiot. And so, so listen to what Du Lubach says though about, um, and I agree that reading these texts in these section in these kinds of sections of the book, if you haven't read. The idiot, for example, you are going to struggle a little bit because um, you don't have a whole lot to hang your head on. But these words of uh, of uh, De Lubach on the top of three hundred and sixty, you know, um, uh, where he's saying um, on this point, Jeet again seems to me more clear sighted. Only when he expects us to see in the prince, that's Mishkin apart from any symbolical interpretation, the genuine spokesman of Dostoevsky, our uneasiness returns. So now here's here's Delubach saying, on one hand, these characters are pieces of Dostoevsky. 
or pieces of his life or whatever, it's a mistake to make any one of them his spokesman. And to your point, Joseph, right? You know, we have to be really careful about equating the fictional character with the author. And so, um, and then before making up our minds, we may continue to take stock of the reasons for uneasiness. Um, you know, uh, and also we have to remember too that the writer, Dostoevsky included, in the course of his work, the writer himself is going through a process of development himself. And so earlier works of Dostoevsky, there might be a more raw edge to this kind of argument or that kind of argument, whatever. But by the time you get to the end of his work, you know, by the time you get to his apogee at in Brothers Karamazov, you know, now all these pieces are starting to get integrated uh, in a more coherent way, which is why I remember Delubach mentions that when Nietzsche first read, was it Letters from the Underground? I think that was the thing that Nietzsche got his hands on of Dostoevsky's right. Letters from the Underground. And here Nietzsche thought he'd found a kindred spirit, thought, you know, and at that time in Dostoevsky's life, when he's writing that, you know, he might have had more in kindredness to, to Nietzsche than he did later on. And so that's the other thing you have to take a, a, an author's total work and which Delubach brilliantly does. He's done it. He's seen it all. He's read it all. He's like father said, he's read all the other sources. I mean, the man is an absolute towering genius, Delubach and Dostoevsky also genius. So it takes a genius to understand a genius, I guess. But I think we see these places of reticence on the part of Delubach in not placing too much stock in any one character being the Dostoevsky, including right, the prince. It does make it a shame when he does actually sometimes say explicitly, this is Dostoevsky speaking, because I, that's problematic. I mean, it's, on occasion he does that, and uh, he, he shouldn't. But, uh, but here he's obviously putting a critical distance between Dostoevsky and Prince Mishkin, which is a relief to me. Yes, um, and yes, he does. I, I know enough about Dostoevsky to know Dostoevsky is going to transcend uh, Mishkin's uh, limitations. Yes, I, I, that is what I think Delubach is saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, well I, Mother, it's up to you. You're, you're the boss, but we're, we're, at, we're, at, we're at 32 minutes. Yes. Uh, well, I want to us to read and comment on almost the whole of page 365, beginning on page 64 at the bottom, but there's not time. So let's do that at the beginning of our next session. 364, okay. 364 and 365? The, the, bottom, the, the bottom two paragraphs there, I mean, starting with during the last 50 years, and then the whole of the top of page 365 down to the next section. Well, uh, then, just, I, and then if we're going to deal with that topic too, we might also look at what's on 369 on the same topic. I have lots of notes there. Good. Okay. Uh, Let's do it. Let, let's start then at the end of section one next time we meet. Thanks everyone for watching and listening. God bless you all. If you enjoyed this discussion, please help spread the word about the Forum Book Club by subscribing to the podcast and writing a review. You can sign up for weekly updates at formedbookclub.ignatius.com.